0: Thank you, Jason and Jennifer and Steve and Amanda for leading us in worship thus far. And we are continuing this week in our look at flourishing in the wilderness. And before I read the passage for today, let me just give you a reminder as to where we are. We've, uh, last week, we of course, we skipped on to Luke if you were here. And so now we're back again with the Israelites and if you've missed uh, a few weeks or the whole series, let me basically just summarize it quickly. God delivered the Israelites from Egypt and from slavery. They went through the Red Sea. Uh, God told them that, uh, that that they were His beloved children. And the people of Israel have continued to question. They've continued to wonder. They've continued to be disobedient. They've continued to want to go back to Egypt. And yet God continually forgives them. And they've continued to meander and to meander. And now at our story here in chapters 13 and 14, they are on the doorstep of the promised land. The doorstep of Canaan. And so God tells Moses to have 12 uh, spies, one from each tribe. So all of Israel is represented. And so he has 12 of them go over into the promised land for 40 days. And while they're there, they discover, they discover the different tribes that are there, and they discover lots of fruit. This was a big deal. Nature's candy, right? And and, and in fact, such a big deal that anytime we talk about the spies, I'm always reminded of my childhood. And and I'm reminded of pictures just like this. You see this picture here of, remember this? Does this remind you of growing up and how big the grapes were? This was, uh, I don't know if my Sunday school teacher had just a massive affinity with grapes, but all I could ever think about are the massive grapes. There were also figs and pomegranates, but they didn't have to. Uh, And in fact, this isn't actually precise. I think it says technically that there were two poles. They'd have two poles where they had to carry these large grapes, right? So it's this incredibly exciting time. Spies go over, they see the promised land, and then they come back, and the Israelites have gathered And now they're ready to give their report of what they have discovered during their time on this spying mission. And that takes us to Numbers 13 and 14. And I'm going to read just 1325 through 1410. Here's what it says. At the end of 40 days, they, being the spies, returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. I told you they are very excited about the fruit. Yet the people who live in the land are strong. And the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Caleb, Caleb was one of the spies. And he said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great size. There we saw the Nephilim, the Anakites come from the Nephilim, and to ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt." Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the Israelites, The land that we went through as spies is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are no more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole congregation threatened to stone them. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would be with us in this time as we gather together this morning as sisters and brothers in Christ, near and far. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So, last week uh, in the sermon, uh, we talked a little bit about fear. And anxiety, and the ways in which it easily can kind of be a sign to us that perhaps we are placing our emphasis on things that we should not be placing such an emphasis on. The fact that we can easily begin to worship things that cause us then fear and anxiety when those things are in jeopardy. One of the things that I'm pretty convinced of is that we are in many ways in a time in which there is such fear and anxiety and, and that, we, that we almost don't even know just how much it is shaping us. It's just kind of in the water that we are drinking, so we are almost uh, unaware of the ways and the impact that it has in our lives. It's a part of the reason why I think kind of numbers 13 and 14 is really a gift to us. For one, it's this great reminder to us that fear and anxiety is is not new, uh, you know, it's easy for us. I think I see this in myself at times thinking, oh, my goodness, this is new, or this is, this is the most fearful and anxious that a people have ever been. And one of the things that we're reminded of is thousands of years ago for the Israelites, they, of course, were feeling this exact fear and anxiety, right? So it's just kind of a part of, of, of most of our lives and most of our societies. But then also, I think one of the things that's helpful is it can be really difficult to to discern fear and anxiety in your own life and how it's impacting you and the way that it's shaping how you see things. And one of the best ways, it seems to me, to begin to understand yourself better is when you can begin to see it in other people. And so as we look at the Israelites, my hope is as we kind of look at the way that fear and anxiety begins to distort things in their lives, that it might also, if we're open to it, help us to see the ways that it's also equally impacting our own One of the interesting things about this particular passage, as Dennis Olson points out, is the way that we see fear and the power that it has to exaggerate our obstacles, to exaggerate the things that are in front of us, to exaggerate our future in a negative way. Verses 22 through 24, I didn't read, but this is the part that just kind of talks about what they Saw what the spies saw, and they it goes through and it just says, Oh, these are the different tribes that we saw. But mostly, as I said, what they focused on mostly was the fruit, right? This was a land flowing with milk and honey. In fact, they named it, they named the place after the fruit. They didn't name it after the people, they named it after the fruit. What they were most, when they were over there, what they were most intrigued by was not the size of the people, it was the size of the fruit. But then as they have time to continue to kind of think about it in their minds and as they come and they begin to give the report well this time you know as they give the report they're like well you know yeah i mean it's it's great but there's also there's also the people now let me let me take one brief pause here to point something out which is that fear is very much a natural part of life and just because something is fearful doesn't mean it isn't good or right in other words I really love, uh, I love the way that they describe the fruit and then they say, yet, here are the people, right? In other words, it's not just, hey, here's the promised land. It's going to be easy peasy. It's here's the promised land, yet there is also going to be some difficulty. And it reminded me of what John Ortberg here says. John Ortberg says this, fear and growth go together like macaroni and cheese. That was for my daughter. She loves macaroni and cheese. It's a package deal. The decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. This means that to be a follower of Jesus, you must renounce comfort as the ultimate value of your life. In other words, there is always, if, if you're pursuing the mission of God, there will always be fearful Things. We need to know that fear is simply a part of those things. It just means that we can't allow it to stop it. But it does mean that we should also be careful. When you see something that's fearful, God also gave us a brain, right? In other words, if the spies had just kind of walked in, you know, all 12 of them into Canaan, and they, and, and they said, oh, you know what? As they walked into one of these big towns, I think the sofa's going to go great right here, and I think the television's going to be perfect right here. That would make no sense. That would be unwise, right? So, so, so fear can be good. However... As I was saying, when they first begin to describe it, it's just here are the people. Then, as they continued, they began to say, okay, well, now here's what you need to know. These people are big, and not only that, the cities are strong and fortified. Then, Caleb, Caleb and Joshua, two of the 12, the only ones who seemed to be positive at all, they said, no, come on, don't worry about this. We've got this, people, we can do it. Let's keep moving forward. And only at that point, did you notice? Only at that point, then all of a sudden, the other 10 spies, those people out there, they weren't just people anymore. They were strong. In fact, did you hear what they said? All of a sudden, they were all massive. In fact, they said they are the Nephilim. And the Nephilim were a mythical people who were half God and half human, and they were giants. Now, we don't know for sure whether they're saying they were really Nephilim or whether they're saying they were big like the Nephilim, but what we know for sure is that these people for whom they didn't even name the land after them, they were just thinking about the fruit. As they continued to think about those people, as they continued to think about following where God had called them to go, all of a sudden, these people kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, they were beyond, I mean, it was, it was mythical how large it was. Not only Does fear build upon fear until all of a sudden that obstacle becomes mythical in its size? But the way that we look at ourselves begins to change. Did you notice what it says? Not only were they giants, but we are grasshoppers. I mean, not only are they massive, but all of a sudden they're like, well, what can we do? We're just... Grasshoppers. I have several friends whom I love dearly, who have incredible gifts. But one of the things that I've noticed about them is that when they face something, when they're going to kind of venture out and take a risk, the conversation so frequently revolves around, I, "But I don't know. I'm oh, probably not very good. That's probably going to fail." I kind of stink at this. And you know that they don't. And you say, no, 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 that's not you. And they say, I'm just kind of a grasshopper. Look at the giants. Fear has a way of exaggerating everything around you until you are not seeing things well. That's what we see with 10 of these spies. All of a sudden, all they can see is how massive the obstacle and how small and unable they are. So, of course, the Israelites who are listening and who are increasingly fearful, what do they say? Well, the same thing that they've been saying several times over their journey, which is that we just want to go back to Egypt, right? And we don't have to go on this for too long because uh, we've talked about it enough, which is that whenever you get in fearful times, when you look back at something, even as horrible as the past may have been, many of our initial responses are just, can we just go back? Let's just go back. Let's just go back. But this time they do a couple things differently. One of them is they begin to distort their view of the Lord. The Lord now, all of a sudden, right? um, The Lord is the one who really seems bent on killing them, they basically say. Why does he want to kill us? We don't understand why God doesn't love us. Then they begin to think, well, you know what? Even our women and our children, they're, oh man, it's not going to work out well for them. And what's fascinating is this. They have done this whole journey, mind you. And they are right there on the verge of the promised land. It's right there, they can see it. 12 of them have been in it. And rather, in that very moment, rather than focusing, what they, they could have easily been like, holy cow! We used to be slaves in Egypt. The Lord delivered us from the Pharaoh. Do you remember when the Lord opened up the Red Sea and we went right through it? Do you remember how we were hungry and the Lord fed us? Do you remember how we were thirsty and the Lord gave us something to drink? Do you remember how many times we've lost trust and the Lord has forgiven us and now we are in the promise? We are right here. Oh, this is gonna be great. They were right there. And instead, and it was a choice, Instead, they decided to focus on the fearful future. On the thing that they thought, well, we don't know what's going to happen. It's probably going to be horrible. But they also step up their Egyptian talk game. Which is that they don't just say, let's go back to Egypt. This time they say, let's, let's get ourselves who will take us back. One of the intriguing things is you look at history and you look at things like, let's just say, dictators and horrible dictators, and sometimes we wonder to ourselves, well, how in the world did, did these people allow this, this dictator to kind of take over? That seems bizarre to me. If you begin to dig in a little bit deeper, almost every time, it is because the dictator was able to take control when the country or the land was full of fear and anxiety. When there are a group of people who are fearful or anxious, they will almost always look for a strong man. And it's typically a man who is charismatic, who has all the answers, and who promises you that he is going to take care of everything. Whenever we have a people who are fearful and anxious, we will always be more likely to begin to cling to somebody who says that he is going to take care of us. You see it in the church as well. Some of the greatest abuses done by pastors have been in those times when the church has been fearful or anxious and they have begun to put way too much hope and trust in the pastor. Almost as if that pastor is almost otherly. And almost every time when you see that happen, we can know that it's coming out of a place of fear or anxiety. It causes us to distort things. It causes us to put our trust in the wrong things. So Moses and Aaron, the leaders, Joshua and Caleb despise at this point, they are despondent. They fall on their faces, they tear their clothes. Joshua and Caleb begin to beg them, literally beg them, "Please, please, don't give in to this fear and anxiety. Please, listen to the Lord. He will take us there. We can do this together. But the Israelites, they're gone. They don't want to hear it. We talked about this several weeks ago now. This quote from Ed Friedman who talked about the fact that when people are fearful or anxious, they cannot hear you. But I also think it points out a, a particular group of people here who not only can they not hear you, the truth is they actually just don't even want to. In fact, I think fear and anxiety easily become, can become almost an addicted emotion. That there's a sense that there are some for whom they love. It's almost a feeling of comfort. I was reading something earlier this week, and I'll be honest with you. I find myself here at times that was talking about anxiety and worry and how there's this false sense oftentimes that with anxiety, it gives us a sense that we are in control of the future. If I worry about it enough, then it won't happen. I don't know why, but I know that when I read that, I could see myself in places and think, oh, that is so true. And for some of us, we have fear and anxiety, and we, it almost feels like a security blanket to us. And not only can they not hear, but they are so desperate not to hear anybody who would give them a different report at all. What do they want to do to Joshua and Caleb? They would prefer to kill them. They wanted to stone them to death so that they didn't have to hear anyone say, All is not lost. The Lord will take us there. They would prefer them to die and not to ever have to hear that than to believe that the Lord might actually be with us in the midst of this fearful time. Fear distorts, anxiety distorts so why don't we just stop? Right, like why not just stop? Any of us who have ever been caught up in a fearful or anxious period of our lives, I mean, why not just say, well, I just don't want to do that anymore? Well, because quite frankly, it's just not that easy. It's incredibly challenging. One of the things that I've discovered is that oftentimes we, there, there's a couple things that we do. One of those is that we, we, we think if this thing happens, and we get past that, then we'll stop being fearful and anxious. Uh, Let me me give two explicit uh, examples. If you were on the Trump train, many of you right now are incredibly fearful and anxious. I've seen it. I've seen people. I've heard from my own family members. Well, that's it. We're done for. It's all over. And for the next four years, that's gonna be, oh. Others, they're riding with Biden. I've seen it from my family members. (laughs) Joy! Literally, the word's joy now. Thank you, Lord. Which is fine. But I can warn you here's what's gonna happen. In four years, when the election comes back around, guess what they're gonna be full of? Fear and anxiety. What happens if they don't win again? Oh my goodness, they don't win again. We're doomed for it. This is going to be horrible. And as long as your fear and your anxiety are pinned on a particular person or event, you will never be at peace. You will have glimpses. And then it will be gone. So far too many of us, what we struggle with is that we've put our, our hopes and our peace on these things. Secondly, I think far too many of us think that we can all of a sudden, in the midst of a fearful or anxious time, we can just all of a sudden not do it. That's when we start paying attention. It's a little bit, it seems to me, like, 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 like showing up on marathon day and then wondering, wait a second, why was I not able to just run 26.2 miles without training? Doesn't make any sense, right? Of course, we would realize, well, of course you're not gonna show up. Actually, I have one friend who did try to do that, and she could barely walk for days afterwards. You cannot just show up on race day and think you'll be able to run it all. You cannot just show up in a fearful or anxious time and think, well, I should just all of a sudden be able to do this. No, it takes training. So what do we do? Well, quickly, there's one thing I wanna focus on. The first two things, and we've talked about this, is one of those is, man, if you are listening to people who are making you fearful and anxious, stop if all they are doing is feeding that, and every time you have a conversation with them or every time you watch them or listen to them, at the end of that time, at the end of that conversation, you are more fearful and anxious than you were before, then stop. You see how it works with the Israelites and the 10 spies. As it begins to build up, it just begins to build and build and build, and there's almost everyone's on this, 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 this kind of train, if you will, and nobody can get off. So just stop. Secondly, focus We talk about this a lot. Focus on what God has done in your life. Quit focusing on the fearful future. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Don't spend all of your time and energy on that. But the third thing, and this is what I want us to take a couple minutes to think through. Verse 30 of chapter 13, it says the NRSV says something like, oh, Joshua kind of quieted, the Israelites. Timothy Ashley says, well, when he says that, it's really a little bit stronger than that. One of the things that it reveals is that there was this great cacophony after the spies had kind of told the Israelites. The Israelites are in a hullabaloo. I mean, they are just like, they're losing their minds probably, right? They're loud. They're screaming. They're anxious. They're, they're oh, we're done for. We're weeping. This is horrible. And Joshua here, or it's Caleb, I think. Caleb, he says, and, 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 and pardon me on this, uh, but, but I think it's, it's more exact is he does he he says almost basically shut up shut up be quiet when you are caught up in fear and anxiety the first thing that you need to do is to be quiet is to shut your mouth both to those on the outside and to yourself internally. That's probably the more difficult one to be quiet. But I want you to know it won't just happen. You cannot start in the midst of fear and anxiety and think on that day you are going to be able to quiet everything. It needs to start slowly. It is a process. And that's why I want to take five minutes for you guys to watch this interview I did with Chris Evans on a Zoom call. Chris Evans, you may not know Chris. He's been going here for about four years. I want you to know this. I hope he's not watching this. Chris Evans is not special. He's not a magician. He didn't even go to seminary. He's a guy in his mid to late 30s, I think. He has four kids, 11, 12, and younger. He works from home right now. He's a regular dude. But he's in my home group. And so over the last seven or eight months, he's been talking a little bit, talking about this kind of spiritual journey that he's been on. There's no fireworks. Don't look for fireworks. Just be quiet and listen. So one of the things that we're talking about with uh, with the story is the fact that, you know, amidst all the fears and anxieties that the spies were facing, that um, that Caleb kind of told everyone to just be quiet and to hush. And I think a part of that is uh, in order to be able to experience kind of the presence of God in some way uh, or in a deeper way. Um, so why don't you, if you take both of those, how is how, how would meditating um, help you to be more aware kind of of the presence of God. And then how would journaling, how, how has journaling helped you to do that as well? So both of the...
1: Um, I think something that made it click for me was just thinking of it, of it as prayer. Like it's basically, I am quieting my mind and training my mind to just be still. Um, and that is the spot where you can kind of tap into your uh, kind of deeper self, deep, you know, kind of for me, at least that's how I view like where I can, can be in touch more with God is when things are a little more still um, it takes for me at least personally, it took a lot of training um, in just practicing meditation to get there. Um, I think I, I use uh, the headspace app, which was super helpful um, at least in terms of like getting the basics down and some techniques to kind of help you get to that spot. Um, because when you sit down to, to do you know, I guess, you know, contemplation or silent prayer in that way, or meditation, we can call it, name it, whatever we want. But like, when you when you sit down to do that in in our world, your mind just immediately stop, starts racing. And like to take some practice to get to the point where you feel like your mind is just kind of quiet and you're just sort of sitting there. Um, and that's sort of like kind of when you, um, there's just, I don't know, I, it's hard to like kind of explain all the benefits of that uh, out loud, but it, it just definitely helps, like, you calm, stay calm. Um, so how and, long, when yeah. you
0: started this, Chris, how long did you, when you were at the beginning of this kind of trying to kind of quiet your mind um, in the presence of God, how long would you say you started? Did you start with doing it for two hours a day?
1: No, no. I think if you, can get, if you can get five or ten minutes in uh, to start, I think that's pretty good. And I think even now, like, 15 or 20 minutes is probably, like, my average, um, for me right now, usually it's like a first thing in the morning thing. Um, but I usually find myself like reading a devotional or something that like kind of get my mind or reading, you know, um, there for a while, I was just going through Proverbs and like some, something, um, to get my mind, like not thinking about the day, but like just kind of focusing on God or what's God trying to teach me today. Um, and that kind of helps my mind not race as much in the morning. Um, yeah.
0: And so yeah. how did how did that meditation that you did in the morning, those 10, 15 minutes, how did you see that opening doors or helping you to see things differently through the day? I realize that might be a hard question to answer, but.
1: Well, I think what happens is the like meditation is like a it's like a training ground for the day in a way, like with your thoughts, for me, at least, Um Cause you, you are, you know, one of the techniques with meditation is just noting. So like when you're sitting there and you're just quiet and you have these thoughts pop in your brain, it's just like noting that, okay, that's a thought. Then just like shoving it away. You know, that's a thought shoving it away. And it, that if you think about how you go throughout your day and trying to be present, the same thing happens throughout the day. So like when, when you start to get better at that in your meditation, you start to notice you start to notice when your mind is wandering or like kind of going on autopilot or checking out versus being present. Mm-hmm. And when you are being present, you for me, I keep saying you, this is all for me personally. I don't know how much this translates for other people, but it, I start to find myself noticing God in in different ways um, because I'm being present versus kind of not, you know, being where my, where my feet are, so to speak.
0: How do you, as you think through this, both the meditation and the journaling and kind of the paying attention, as you're saying, um, amidst all the kind of the challenges of this time, right? With COVID, uh, racial tension, elections, all of those, as well as you, know, you know, having four kids at home, um, all those and working from home. Um, how would you say, I mean, has this been helpful to you in any way in terms of kind of dealing with those fears or anxieties or, or tensions or whatnot? Does that
1: make sense? it's just like kind of more of like a longer the it's kind of like the long game, you know, in a way like you're like, and there's, you know, I'm kind of almost playing this like growth mindset game with God throughout the day and kind of viewing almost, maybe it's this, maybe it's like almost viewing those really hard things that are happening in our world. Um, that well, they're not happening for me specifically. Uh, obviously, um, they are. There are lessons embedded and buried in those, and in, in both how I, how I respond and react to them, and um, you know what, what's being, what's God trying to teach, what's God's intent to teach me through this. Like, what can I learn from this? And um, I think that is probably that I don't know just kind of that sort of posture on things versus um getting getting really worked up and stressed about I mean honestly the hardest thing really is is your kids um because it's just so I mean anybody who has kids I'm sure can relate it's just it's very emotional and especially right now um because you're around each other so much um but you know, because it's just so easy to, like, kind of just go into autopilot mode and get frustrated and get upset and not catch yourself. You know, that's kind of where that noting comes in that I talked about earlier. Um, Yeah, so I think that maybe it's that, like, it's kind of what am I meant to learn from this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I appreciated about Chris is just that sense of of that framing of what am I meant to learn by whatever it is that I'm going through right now in the midst of this fearful or anxious time. But what I really wanted you to hear about here is because, again, I feel like this is something we've talked about. We talk about being quiet. We talk about being still. But I'm the one who oftentimes is saying it. But what I so appreciate about Chris and his watching his journey is the way in which it is clearly this time of quiet and hush. As someone who's been able to watch him over these last seven or eight months, the way that it has actually changed him. It doesn't mean that everything around him has changed, but it does mean that now in the midst of a fearful time, he sees God. By his being willing to hush up, he is able to see God. So here's what we're going to do. I looked it up on the calendar. I counted. I think I'm right. Next Sunday is about 40 days before Christmas. And so I'm giving you a week to prepare for this. But here's my challenge for each and every one of us. And that challenge is to take forty days. The forty days, just like just like uh, Jesus was in the wilderness for forty days, just like they were in the Promised Land, the spies were for forty days. To take forty days and to carve out fifteen minutes. Now, for some of you, you, you're already doing hours a day, so that's not a problem. But for the rest of us, fifteen minutes to be still. Fifteen minutes to begin to meditate every day for 40 days to shut out everything else as an experiment just to see. As we do that, do we begin to see our own lives focusing more on God and less on those fear and anxieties? For 40 days, you might wanna start with five minutes this week if you need to to work your way up, but to be ready to start that next Sunday, And as we do so, it seems to me we might be able to reflect the peace of Jesus Christ more and more. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would be with us even now. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit and for your love and for your grace. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen and amen. Please stand. Here's one of the things I want you to know is that I think that living this kind of peaceful life is not just good for you. I think it's good for the community around us. I was reading something several months ago that made this analogy. It talked about how do, how is how, how a lake able to reflect a sun? And the best way for the lake to reflect the sun, of course, is for the lake to be... Calm or for the lake to be choppy? Calm. And the calmer the lake, the more clearly it reflects the sunshine. And in the same way, it seems to me what our society around us needs to be able to do is to look to us and the calmer we are, it doesn't mean we're not passionate, it doesn't mean that we don't care about things, but the calmer and more peaceful we are, the more readily we will reflect the Son of God. And so I look forward to spending the next 40 days, 47 days if you want to start today, in reflecting and creating space so that not only might we be a people of peace, but we might reflect the Prince of Peace in greater ways. And so now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the communion of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you this day and forevermore. Hallelujah. Amen.